Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. This week, China analyst and author Mark O'Neill joins me to talk about a hugely successful Jewish businessman, Silas Aaron Hardoon, who was born in a poor family in Baghdad, but would work his way up to become, at one point, the richest man in Asia. He travelled to Shanghai in 1868 and worked for the Sassoons. He would later branch out on his own and had a real talent for real estate, foreseeing how Shanghai would expand. Mr. Hardoon features in Mark's upcoming book, Israel and China, From the Tang Dynasty to Silicon Wadi, which will be published in Hong Kong later this month. He's born to a poor Jewish family in Baghdad. That makes him a Sephardic Jew. Now, the Sephardic Jews had lived in Baghdad for centuries. Most of them were like him. They were very modest families. And there were a small number who were extremely wealthy. And the treasurer of the state was often Jewish because they were very gifted at managing money. Who were the big Jewish names that have Baghdad Jewish ancestry? Yeah, well, of course, the best known in Hong Kong is the Kaduris. They came originally from Baghdad. And the most famous name would be the Sassoons because they left Baghdad, they went to Bombay and then came to China, Hong Kong, Shanghai and they built up a great business empire. So the Jews were well treated in Iraq for most of this time, better than they were treated in Christian Europe. But unfortunately in the early 19th century the uh, ruler of Iraq instituted anti-Semitic policies. Some eminent uh, Jewish people were were executed. So the Sassoons, who were a very prominent family there, they decided to emigrate. So they moved from Baghdad to Bombay, which was the business capital of British India. And British India was an enormous country with enormous resources. The Sassoons had networks, global networks, And so they started their business empire there. And so the Hardoons came in their wake. They moved to Bombay, so the Hardoons also went to Bombay, and this is where Silas attended school. And the Sassoon family then set up uh, offices all over Asia, including Hong Kong, Shanghai, and then other cities. And one of the sons of the Sassoon family was sent to Shanghai to run the company there and uh, Silas Hardoon went to Shanghai and went to work for him in Shanghai so his early work was quite modest he was he collected rent for the Sassoons and he worked in an opium warehouse as a watchman but Silas Hardoon was a very smart young man he was working for the Sassoons and he was very good in property so he worked in the property division of the company and the main commodity that China imported at that time was opium and the Sassoons were big importers of opium and Silas Hardoon also was involved in the opium import. So in 1882, Hardoon decided to go off on his own and he set up a brokerage company trading cotton but it didn't work out for him and after three years he went back to the Sassoon company and his main focuses were real estate and trading opium. Now in 1885 he made a coup for the company. We're now 1885 and France and China are are fighting a war. So many people in Shanghai were afraid that China would lose the war, that the French Navy might come to Shanghai, the French Army might come to Shanghai. So there was a panic. 
So many people were leaving, many people were selling their properties. And Hardun's wife actually said, it's very dangerous, we should move to Hong Kong. But Hardun said, no, this is the opportunity, just like the Cultural Revolution in Hong Kong. So he bought a lot of properties at low prices. And then there was a peace agreement signed between France and China unexpectedly. So peace was restored, the, fr the French army, the French navy didn't come, the prices recovered, and he made a large amount of money for his uh, employer. So this was the most spectacular example of how smart Hardoon was in the property market. But at that time, he made the money mainly for the Sassoons. <laughs> with author Mark O'Neill about the life of Silas Aaron Hardoon. So there he is. He's failed a bit on the, on the cotton, but he's made it up on the property. So he's continuing to work for Sassoon. Can you tell me about his wife? Well, his wife is really an extraordinary character. She was the daughter of a French sailor and a Chinese lady. And soon after she was born, her father returns to France... Uh, when she was young, her mother died, so she was brought up by relatives. So she had very little formal education, but she was a very tough, very determined lady. She schooled herself. She learned French and English on her own. So she's called Lisa Wu? Yes. Oh, she, has a, she has an English name and she has a Chinese name. She was working as a maid when she met Hardun. So that's how they met in the first place. So she obviously made a very big impact on him. And they got married. Now, Hardun was a Sephardic Jew. The Sephardic Jewish community is tight-knit, and mostly they find their partners amongst the Sephardic Jewish community, or at least among the Jewish community. So it was extremely unusual for one of them to marry out, as we would say, but even more unusual to marry someone who is half Chinese and Lisa was a devout Buddhist, a very devout Buddhist. So she devoted a lot of her life, the rest of her life, to serving Buddhism. And her husband did not object to this at all and supported her in, in all her projects. So this meant that his life was largely separated from that of the Jewish community. But he did provide the funding for a synagogue in Shanghai that was built in 1927. And he would visit the synagogue several times a year uh, with his wife. But otherwise, he didn't take part in the religious life or in the social life of the Jewish community, as most of the other Sephardic Jews would have done. He starts off working for the Sassoons. So this is Silas Aaron Hardoon, born in 1851 in Baghdad, would later move to Shanghai. He starts off as a watchman for a warehouse for opium for the Sassoons and would later try his hand at cotton. He later moves back to working for the Sassoons and gets them quite a property coup. So when does he actually branch out on his own? In 1901, he decides to leave the Sassoons and set up his own property business. So it's from this time that his fortune really begins to grow rapidly. And he makes a very big bet on where Shanghai is going to grow. At that time, Shanghai is already a booming city in the, in the Far East. But over the next 40 years, it would become the most important commercial, industrial, manufacturing city in the Far East. 
It was a city under foreign control of French and international concessions, and enormous fortunes were made and spent there. So what his bet was on where the commercial capital would be. So he reckoned it would be between the Bund and along Nanjing Road, which is the east-west axis, and he said this is where the, the future is going to be. So he actually built a road himself. I mean, he had businessman, he built a road along this axis and started to buy properties along Nanjing Road. And then a tramway was built, the first in Shanghai along Nanjing Road. So it became the commercial capital, not the commercial, the commercial center of the city. And it still is today. If you go to Shanghai now and you go to Nanjing Road, you find uh, many, many huge department stores and restaurants and, and so on. So he owns a lot of the properties along this route and people come to set up department stores, retail businesses, restaurants and so on and they rent from him. So this is how his fortune increases very rapidly. And as you know, Nanjing Road became not just a shopping centre but it became a centre for entertainment, for music, for dancing, tea shops, coffee shops. The wealthy in the middle class of Shanghai would go there and spend much of the day and he was the greatest uh, beneficiary of this. And, for example, the Wing-On department store we have in, in Hong Kong, I mean, they also had a big branch in Shanghai and it was on Nanjing Road and it was rented from Hadoon. So this is how he made his fortune. Do we know anything about him in terms of what sort of character he was? Yeah, I think he was a very um, individualistic person. He ran his business on his own. He had an office just with himself in it. Apparently he didn't have heating in the winter, so the Shanghai winter is pretty cold. And people found it hard to figure out what he was going to do next. And as I mentioned before, he didn't take part in the Jewish life as most of the Jewish people did. So he didn't have heating in the winter, what, for himself or because he was very stingy with his workers? Well, he had lots and lots of money. I mean, he could certainly afford it, but I, I think it's just a peculiarity of his character. Perhaps he preferred to work, you know, in, the, in, in this climate and perhaps he felt sharper because he wasn't softened by the heat. So, no, he worked, he worked on his own. He was a member of both the international and the French councils that ran the international settlement, and no one else was a member of both. He was also a member of the Shanghai Club, which was the main British private club. So he had a lot of networks among the foreigners and could influence policy-making and decision-making among them. But he was also very active on the Chinese side. He had relations with the warlords in and around Shanghai, he knew well uh, Sun Yat-sen and funded him before 1911. And when Sun arrived in China immediately after the revolution 1911, Hadun sent his monk, he had a monk who worked for him, to Wusung Port to meet him. And he brought him to his very large house in Shanghai and they had a celebration. And Hadun had their other members of the Revolutionary Party. So he was right at the centre of the revolutionary movement. So he had links with all sides. He also met Puyi, the former emperor. So I think he was taking insurance on all sides, whatever the outcome. Whoever was going to win in China, he would have a friend in that side. So he was very clever in this respect. In modern terms, when he died, uh, Silas Aaron Hardoon was worth 15 
billion US dollars, can you imagine? Um, so that would be a, a lot of uh, property. Now, aside from his business dealings, as you say, he was he had a, a massive network in a way and uh, was quite strategic. Uh, but his involvement in Shanghai, do we know anything about his other interests, for example, horse racing or others? Horse racing was a very big activity, well, just like in Hong Kong for the British and other foreigners. As far as I know, Hardoon was not involved in that. And I think that's because because of his wife. She was, as I say, a very dedicated Buddhist. And they built this enormous private estate. It was the biggest in Shanghai, 26 hectares. And it was designed like the dream of the Red Chamber. So it was a Chinese-style dwelling with gardens and hills and temples. And his wife herself was autodidact, so she was very sympathetic to people who hadn't proper education. So they had a boarding school in, in the premises and they took on students for nothing and then they paid the teachers to teach them. And there were many monks who lived on the premises too and she would pray every day. And she donated money for the writing of Buddhist scriptures. Uh, she donated thousands of tales for this. So I think we can see that there were a lot of projects going on in the Hardoon household. So I suspect he had no time to go to the race course or do a lot of the things that the other expats did. You say he, he and his wife had a 26-hectare estate. Does any of that still, you know, any of these buildings still exist in Shanghai? Well, unfortunately, during World War II, the Japanese occupied it because it was so luxurious and pleasant. And there were several fires, and most of it was destroyed. So after '49, the new government d demolished it. But what you can see now is it's called the Shanghai Exhibition Center. It used to be called the Sino-Soviet Friendship Center. And this was built on the site of this home. And that's still standing, and many events take place there. So you can visit there, and you can see where this large estate used to be before. Now, Silas Hardoon, when he was born in Baghdad, what did his parents do? All I know, they were from uh, they were a modest family, so not so well off. When he comes to Shanghai, he obviously builds up this uh, huge business uh, for himself. Now, did he and his wife have children? Unfortunately, they didn't have any children of their own, so they adopted 21 children. So 11 were foreign and carried the name of Hardoon, and 10 were Chinese and carried their mother's name. 21? Yes. Well, they were extremely wealthy. They had a very big house. They obviously wanted to have a family and they were not able to have their own. So, yes, so they adopted 21 children. That's quite an undertaking. Yeah, I mean, perhaps it wasn't such a good idea because it's too many. How can you look after and love so many children? And, of course, after he died and this enormous fortune became up for grabs, the children were fighting for it. So that was a very sad outcome. Yes, indeed. The uh, court cases in Shanghai with, uh, after he passed away with uh, then involving his wife and the children went on for some years. So he dies in 1931 and there was an enormous funeral in Shanghai. There were Chinese mourners, there were foreign mourners and there were many estimates of his worth so one of the Shanghai papers said it was a hundred million tails, a hundred million tails, which would make him one of the richest people in the Far East. 
So that's tails, T-A-E-L-S. What, what is that actually for a currency? Well, that was China's currency at that time. It was called the silver tail. That's the full time, the silver tail. Another estimate is 35 million US dollars at that time. And he owned 44% of the buildings on Nanjing Road, a total of nearly 1,400 buildings. So that would include apartment blocks, offices, hotels and warehouses. So is he buried in the Jewish cemetery in Shanghai? Yes. So the, the Jewish community didn't reject him. So uh, the family brought uh, marble from Italy and he was buried in a mausoleum in the family compound uh, in Shanghai. And in his will, he left everything to his wife. Now, the will was highly contested. Can you imagine this sum of money? So people all over the world want to have a piece of this money. So members of his family, and uh, these, these would be in Shanghai, in Iraq, in Bombay, Jerusalem, all contested the will. So the lawyers in Shanghai did pretty well? Well, not only in Shanghai, the lawyers in all these cities did well. And the family said that his wife was a Buddhist, she, she didn't convert to Judaism, so the marriage was not legal. So therefore, this, the will was invalid. Legal battle over millions of Jewish multimillionaire Hardun opens in Shanghai. Relatives claim fortune. Jewish Telegraphic Agency, June 8, 1932. The hearing was opened here today of the action in which members of the family of the late Silas Aaron Hardoon, the Jewish multimillionaire who died in Shanghai a year ago, are claiming the estate, contesting the right of the widow to whom it was bequeathed in the will as sole heiress, sole executrix and sole administrator of the estate to inherit because she's a Buddhist who has never become a Jewess so that her marriage to a Jew was not legal. Leading members of the Shanghai Jewish community have given evidence that the widow, Mrs. Eliza Hardoon, never was Jewish and had always observed the Buddhist faith. The Baghdad Beth Din has sent in a testimony declaring that the marriage was illegal and is not recognised as valid. The government of Iraq is also supporting the claim of the family, demanding that as Hardoon was an Iraqi subject who had never renounced his citizenship, the case should be heard according to Iraqi law. It's expected that the trial will continue for about a week. Mr. Silas Aaron Hardoon, who died in July 1931 at the age of 84, is stated to have left the greatest hoard of gold ever gathered by any one person in the Far East. A native of Baghdad, he came of a notable family long known for its staunch service to Judaism. Educated at Bombay, he came to Hong Kong in 1873 in the employ of Messrs. David Sassoon, whom he left after some years to join Messrs. E.D. Sassoon. Mr. Hardoon had lived in Shanghai for 63 years. In 1925, he received special privileges from the Foreign Office in London, accepting him as a British subject. Through a society of which he was the only member, he contributed sums running into millions for charitable relief and educational purposes in China. Large numbers of Chinese owe their education to his assistance. Although married to a Chinese woman who retained her Buddhist faith, Mr. Hardoon continued to be a prominent member of the Jewish community of Shanghai, and he died and was buried as a Jew. Relations living in Shanghai, Baghdad, Basra, Bombay, Jerusalem and other places have filed claims to the estate, and they declare that if they do not win in the present action, they will carry their case as far as the Privy Council in London. The relatives demand that as Mr. Hardoon was an Iraqi subject, the case must be tried according to Iraqi law. 
It's been definitely ascertained, it's been stated in Shanghai that Mr. Hardoon was a British protege of Iraqi nationality, registered in the Shanghai British Consulate, and that he never renounced his Iraqi nationality. The estate is estimated at about £30 million. They went to the Best Inn, which is the rabbinical court of Baghdad, and they said the marriage was illegal and not valid. The government of Iraq said that Hardoun, whilst he had acquired UK nationality in 1925, he had never given up his Iraqi nationality. So the case should be settled according to Iraqi law. So can you imagine all these conflicting claims? And his wife was broken-hearted by the loss of her husband after 45 years, and she, she absolutely couldn't deal with all these conflicts. Her health deteriorated, and finally the court ruled in her favour. But it was, a, you know, it was a pyrrhic victory because so much bad blood had been caused by this, all this infighting amongst all these people. So she finally dies in October 1941. She's buried next to him, but not in his mausoleum, because she's not Jewish. And then the whole thing starts again, because she's died, but the fortune's still there. So all these players that I mentioned, plus their own children, <laughs> they're all after the, the, the fortune. But of course now we're in the middle of World War Two, So the Japanese occupy the city, then there's a Chinese civil war, then there's hyperinflation, then the communists take over the mainland. So the, the legal dispute is going on all this time. So it's not finally settled until 1956. So then the, the Hardoon company stops, has stopped operating by then. And so how did the money get distributed? Well, I, I don't think there's much money left no. all this time because, remember, the, the, the assets are mostly properties in Shanghai, right? So what are they worth? Well, when he died, they were worth a great deal of money. But we have the war in Shanghai, in Shanghai so some of the buildings are damaged in the war, and then there's a civil war, and then the, the, the communists take power, and they take over the buildings. So the buildings don't belong to the Hadoun family anymore. So what we must do is make a comparison with the Sassoon family, because the Sassoon family is the opposite. The Sassoon family had a succession plan and the head of the family started to withdraw money from China even in the 1930s after the, the, the Japanese occupation of Manchuria. He, he felt that China was not a stable environment, uh, he didn't know what the future held, so he started to take assets out of China in the 1930s. So after 1945 this accelerated and the Sassoons bring more and more money out of China and they move to Hong Kong or they move it to other places. And after 45, if you rented a Sassoon apartment in Shanghai, you couldn't pay for it in tails, in, in Chinese money. You had to pay for it in US dollars or in Hong Kong dollars and you paid in an account in, in Hong Kong. So the Sassoons were much more clever in, in, in this respect and they didn't do it suddenly, they did it gradually. So they found buyers for most of their assets. So they would sell buildings or they would sell companies to Chinese buyers or other foreign buyers. 
and just moved the money out gradually. And the, the head of the family, he moved personally to Nassau in the Bahamas. That became his new headquarters. So we can't say he got everything out because the Civil War ended sooner than many people expected. The communist victory was faster than many expected. So he wasn't able to liquidate everything. But the two are a great contrast. The Sassoons had a, a long family succession and they were looking far ahead and they liquidated their assets and got a lot of it out of China. Whereas in the case of the Hardoons, the company really ended with his death. There wasn't a proper succession program and there was this enormous fight over his assets and in the end nobody, nobody won. <laughs> Shanghai today, is there anywhere that marks the life of Silas Aaron Hardoon? Oh yes, uh, if you go to Pusi, that's the west side of the Huangpu River, there are many buildings there which were built by Hardoon and also the other Jewish entrepreneurs because as you know in Shanghai the, the new area, the Pudong area is built after 1980, so they're the new buildings but in the Pusi side Many of the Hardoon buildings are still standing. Now, they don't belong to the Hardoon family anymore. But uh, the, the site of the Wing-On department store, for example, is still there. Many of the department stores in Nanjing, Lu, are still there. And Wing-On actually has gone back to Shanghai. I don't think they're in the same building. But. So there is that legacy there. Now, his house, unfortunately, is lost, and that's become this exhibition centre. The Chinese government today regards him in a rather contradictory way. I mean, he was very involved in selling opium to China, so of course that's a very negative aspect. But they see him as having made a contribution to the development of Shanghai, especially in the real estate area. And he invested the money he made from opium in Shanghai. So that's different to a lot of the foreign companies. They made a lot of money out of opium and then took the money out and spent it elsewhere. But he and the Sassoons, they didn't. They stayed in Shanghai and they reinvested the money. So that's why there's such a big Jewish footprint in Shanghai today, because they put the money back in there. So from that aspect, the government today would regard them favorably. They didn't leave, they stayed, they contributed, they created buildings, they created employment, they created wealth in, in Shanghai. My thanks to China analyst and author Mark O'Neill talking there on the life of Shanghai businessman Silas Aaron Hardoon. My thanks also to my colleague Tom McAlinden for the voiceover. Mark O'Neill's upcoming book, Israel and China, From the Tang Dynasty to Silicon Wadi, which will be published in Hong Kong later this month, describes the extraordinary relationship between the Jews and China from their arrival as businessmen in the Tang Dynasty until now. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>